for sure. I uh, have a little bit of allergies the past oh. couple of days. So I got some nettle tea and nice. my favorite Fox mug. And I tell you what, you guys, it's like I just brewed fish in a cup. It just, oh. <laughs> you know, in like Japan, soy sauce, they actually like, there's lineages of soy sauce. So like uh -huh. there's family soy sauces that are hundreds of year old and you just use like one splash of it and then water it down and that's how they get soy sauce uh -huh. you know like it ferments i imagine if that process somehow goes bad that's what this smells like <laughs> <laughs> just like so fishy and i think my great great grandfather fucked up the soy base but <laughs> yeah. frankly we're all afraid to tell him that <laughs> no one likes our tea <laughs> A Batman in Quarantine podcast. It's episode 73. Uh, this is an intro that sounds more like a perfectly accessible and effective, acceptable podcast. We're going to take that vibe down and send our Batman in Quarantine vibe out there, complete with a whole new intro and outro song. I don't know if you guys know about that, but that's a part of Batman in Quarantine now. Issue number, is this eight, you guys? Uh, is this seven? Let me see. Let me see. I got it. I think it's, it's, eight. it's eight. Okay. Batman Incorporated Volume 2, Issue Number 8. It is, well, well let's, let's just talk about spoilers for the covers. It's got a gorgeous cover that models after Batman, like the first issue of R.I.P. Is that like 658? I don't know. It's back there at some point. But uh, we got Damien R.I.P.ing on the cover. And I don't really know how to how to break the the news about what happens in this issue to everybody, but I'm Jeff, and I'm uncomfortable about it about being Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I'm Roman, and I'm 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 uncomfortable about being Jeff too. <laughs> I'm Justin, and I had a bit in my mind, and it were, it involved me doing this noise, but I forgot the bit. So there's got that the, noise. You got the sound effect. That's all yeah. we need. Right? <laughs> it has been interesting. Um, you know, we've been very good friends for years now, and I've always really respected that your brain works sound effect first. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that the sound effects are the anchors with which you move through ideas. Right. Um, I have to go backwards from like, what is this a sound effect to? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like mnemonic devices you have for removing, yeah. remembering thought patterns. You're like, well, it was this sound, then this sound, then this sound. So it's like trying to do echolocation in my own head. Where'd <laughs> <laughs> that go? Where am I? And that was the link. That where did it go? Everyone, yeah. let's just spoiler right on into this one. Spoilers, folks. For the Grant Morrison, Chris Burnham, uh, Batman Incorporated story that we know and love so much that we've been reading. This is the Damien death issue. Uh, the previous issue ended with a, the, a picture of the Robin logo with some blood next to it being torn off a costume. And then this cover came out. And I remember the first time reading it being pretty on the fence about whether or not, like, I thought that was a red herring or not. Like, are they actually going to kill Damien? Is this a metaphor? Uh, what did you guys think going in? Man, I, uh, you know, I think that there's some hints and some kind of like overt things that kind of signal that Damien's going to die throughout this run. And there's just like deep layers of denial, you know, like usually in stories, you start to like characters a lot and then they'll kill them off. Like when mm -hmm. you see a butthole become a good guy, you're like, oh, they need, that's their turnaround moment before they die. Or, you know, there's been, you know, 
kind of pseudo deaths when he was shot by the guy and all these hints. And I was just like, no, no, it's not going to happen. No. And they give it to us in this issue. He does die and it is sad. And I still found like, like throwing up denialism as I read this issue yesterday. I was like, no, no, maybe there's one more issue. And no, it's, it's fucked up and sad. Yeah. And they, it was funny because I remember this came out. Did this come out before you were working at the store, Chad? Yep. Yeah. Um, and I remember it. There was so much uh, promotion. Doc Walk gets into uh, kind of the sick, how this issue also be, with Damien's death kind of uh, proves Brent, one of Grant's points about corporate sigils and all that because. I remember this, it was, his death was ruined by not only DC's yep. promotional materials and speculators, but also the New York Post two days before the death had a headline, like in an article, like, oh, DC kills Ray, Damian Wayne, Batman's son, Robin, in this issue, which helped drive the speculation. Um, so yeah, it was all spoiled, but even at that point, I was still thinking, ah, oh, yeah, they're not really going to kill him. I know, it'll, right? It'll be a dodge and and nope <laughs> um i'm excited to hear doc Watts' thoughts on this issue the walk thoughts um <laughs> because like what veggies has he got you know cooking in the walk thoughts but uh, i also uh, what i did is i just found a bunch of clips from interviews with grant morrison talking about this moment and there's a, there was a lot of interviews that week but yeah that was a kind of a prevalent thing is uh, he didn't overtly say it but a couple statements kind of mentioned like well yeah you know like the news leaked this out like so it even yeah. though the previous issue did have the like bloody Robin symbol as the next thing, I was sure like still holding out yeah. some ambiguity. And even when I read those like spoilers, I was still like, well, we don't, there's four issues left. We don't know, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. Cause Robin was apparently killed before by what's his name? Baphomet. Yep. In that first, yeah. The first issue of volume two. Yeah. Yeah. And death is like a, a thing that means very little in comics, but somehow this managed to feel a little more, like capital D death and comic book death. And yeah, he, he managed to get a good effect in there. Um, I don't remember the spoilers that would have really probably bothered a young Justin quite a bit. Um, and this bothered me quite a bit when I read it back in the <laughs> For day. Sure. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you know, Grant Morrison had, he says in a lot of these interviews that the, the plan had been, you know, from the very, very start uh, after this four issue arc with Damien that he was going to get killed. You know, and, and as the run grew, I think this was always the end point in his mind. Like, and he, a kind of quote that he kept bringing up in this onslaught of interviews that happened on this, like, you know, February of 2013 is around, I think when it came out, but there's an onslaught of interviews all dated that time. But the thing that kind of keeps coming up is that he knew when his run was over, that he was going to have to take all the toys and put them back into the toy box so that other people could play with them. And I think from that regard, it, it does make a lot of sense, right? Like these are these eternal characters. They're frozen in amber. So he was saying like at the end, I needed to say it was Batman alone in a cave. Alfred's a butler. He has a Batmobile. You know, he's driven by vengeance. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing to have done. But yeah, you know, that it, it's, it's a bummer that, it's a it's a bummer right i don't know he knew yeah. it he knew it right you like you mm -hmm. creates the character and then he in at the end of the run it's all gonna make sense and you can't with comics it is difficult to introduce a new thing and expect it to stick but i also think 
you know, he mentions, I don't, I didn't really want to force a thing that would force writers to incorporate it. Right. Cause he didn't necessarily want to be like, well, Milligan introduced this and now we have to do it. But it's just an interesting bit of like, it's a unique to comics thing. I think for yeah. sure. I remember like Batman having a biological son was a contentious thing because having a, an heir and a, a, like a, just that adds a different dynamic to like the permanence of the frozen and amber it's like oh well now he has a kid how do we deal with that like right that's a that does a very different thing to a story like it ages him in a way it changes his entire dynamic the fact that he has a biological son when most robins are adopted like i remember feeling weird like oh, batman doesn't have a son mm-hmm. and that like that kind of deep-seated nerddom in me where like i just want everything to be the same you know like Damien's introduction forced me to have to like outgrow that in as much as I could. Um, and then I got so attached that I was like, no, I don't want you to kill him. Like I, I want him to be permanent, but I, I could see from like a needing to write a run and set up for the next guy's standpoint, like he can't really survive outside that run. You know, that that's kind of like the company's decision, I guess, because he's a um, property. Just going off of what you just said. So I have a whole bunch of like photos. I was going through different interviews and I was doing screen captures of different quotes. So if I'd had more time or more organization, I would have kind of organized them to the flow of thoughts. I didn't do that. So I've got a bunch of things that are going to come out in a weird way. But you just said something that reminded me of this quote that I have from him that is, um, it was in Morrison talking about the death of Damien. He was saying it was horrible because I was always on his side. Damien for me, he's the character I brought in at the very start of my Batman run. And he's the character who's coming out with me at the very end. Um, But he, he talks oft about how like, I I don't know if I saved this image, but he did say at some point, he's like, yeah. And I wrote the script where he's dead. And he's like, I still wake up a lot of days, like hearing his voice explaining his story to me, like as a thing I should write, but it's gone. Um, Yeah. Just this, this person that he was always rooting for, who was introduced as a real like snotty, snotty kid. Um, But yeah, I'm actually really excited to talk about, sort of the role and metaphor that he was talking about with family and all of this um, after we just kind of get through a little bit of these beats first, let's get, let's put some of these yeah. beats in our mouth. <laughs> so this issue starts off with uh, Damien. He's stolen the Robin armor that had been introduced in, I think Batman, the return or Leviathan strikes one of those two, probably the return. And he flies in to save Dick. And I fucking loved that line. Cause he just goes, what would you do without me? Grayson. And because at the end of the last issue, like we were talking about how Dick's just getting mauled by kids, you know, it's just like, Dick, shouldn't you be able to handle this? That, that was, I like the way they did that because the reason Dick can't handle it is because he doesn't want to beat up a bunch of 10 year olds. But since Damien's a 10 year old, he has no problem. Well, he wouldn't care what Damien wouldn't care what age he was when he right. did it. But but it's OK to show a 10 year old beating the crap out of other 10 years olds. That's a that's a good point. The same thing that made Dick the perfect partner for Damien is what necessitates Damien saving him because <laughs> D- Dick can't beat up a bunch of 10 year olds. Damien doesn't give a fuck. I think there's a panel where Gordon has his gun drawn drawn in one of these. Maybe it's not this issue, but. And I'm like, why would you even have a gun? Like, you should just keep it holstered. <laughs> yeah. When like, what what are you doing with that gun? I told yeah. I, I told myself that he got it out to keep it above the kid's grasp. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> to prevent the kids from getting it. You yeah. can't have this. You can't have this. <laughs> They're going to shoot me with my own gun, goddammit. Robin it's... looks fucking cool in this armor. I just yeah. got to say. Yeah. It's, it's just badass. It's got like a Gundam vibe to it a little bit, <laughs> you know, sure. or just like cybernetic or metabots or something. But I love that he just sort of floats through. He's like, oh, you know, you're, what would you do without me, Grayson? Punches some kids, drops some gas down dips on out of there just like all right now i have to go deal with these other things it is like a perfectly you know for this triumphant finale for damien's life i love he flies through saves this person ends up on the roof it's the wayne tower is the only building with lights on in the entire like city in that mm-hmm. shot of him on the skyline going to it some more great rain it's really oh, heroic yeah, too yeah. like damien is here to save the day yeah i love that though you know it's funny i thought that one line, what would what would you do without what would you do without me? I thought Dick was saying that to Damien because because that's when Dick like pushes grabs Damien, get him out of the way of the gunfire. He does that. He says that later on, but on the first page of this issue, as oh, Damien's oh, flying in, We're on different pages. Okay, um, yeah. So like Dick's saying of that is a response to Damien oh, saying okay. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that rain sequence in the safe there. I I love this the shots of like Batman getting out of this safe thing like of course batman's always got like a bobby pin or something in his gums yeah what <laughs> okay i wanted to ask you like so he's he's sitting there with his hands in that first kind of broken glass panel like he's trying to move around and then he's like going and is he does he have them in his hand and he's like chewing it out of his skin on his hand because his hands are all messed up like and then he pulls it out of his mouth like what is he doing there in that one panel when he's inside the safe with his hand great point i wonder he uh sorry jango yeah roman the the issue before it shows that his hands are chained behind him so whatever the escape techniques are he scraped the hell out of his hand and his knuckles getting out of the chains behind okay and then the the lock pick is just in his mouth in in his cheek that's a trick houdini used to do okay keep it somehow like in your in your between your gums and your cheek and stash there nobody knows it and then you can once you, if you can get your hand free then you can get the lockpick out word I, so he he pulled a mel gibson and broke his shoulders <laughs> like a lethal weapon to get dislocated his shoulders to get around maybe. And, then he, and then he that, pulls that's what i was wondering i was like well if he dislocated his shoulder he wouldn't be able to uh, control his arm to get his hand up to his mouth so i'm wondering i, I like the fact that burnham didn't show that exactly how he did it because there's too many questions about well how would you do that and then get your shoulder back into place and <laughs> yeah i i you know posed the question to myself while reading like why is his hand so fucked up it's got to be from just like fighting people the whole time but no as soon as justin said that it's like yeah i bet like roman said he scraped the fuck out of his hand or beat it you know like did yeah. something to his hand yeah because his other hand is fine Right, <laughs> right. And we don't see any indication of his hand being fucked up in the previous issue when there's a shot of him in the safe. So it's got to be in the motion of of scraping it or tearing it out of there or something that he so severely fucks up his hand, which makes Talia's ability to assess how long it's going to take him to get out of there even more impressive, right? For like sure. she knows what his tactic will be. And I know he Bruce Wayne is trained in meditation and, and all kinds of facets where he probably has like such body awareness and control somatic control but could you imagine if after all of that you just like miss the pin by one like because he's dropping it drop it yeah like oh fuck (laughs) then what would you do oh god yeah 
Thank God he's like a master of his body and can, you know, contort and like probably has such intense focus. He can just grab something midair like that. But um, I was just thinking like if, if I was in that situation, I'd be fucked no matter what. But if I was Batman in that situation, I would still, there's probably a likelihood that I would drop those tweezers yeah, yeah. or the, the lock pick. I love that. It's such a beautiful page too. I mean, all of this is, but the inset panels of him in the, in the safe and there's just, there's just enough water drops and stuff coming down on him. And you, and you see that one seam that the water, it's got a couple little leaks, but it's not bad yet. Yeah. It conveys the almost like almost safe solitude that you would have in the bottom of this one small dry pocket in a pool of water. Like it's, it, there's like this negative space thing that he's able to perfectly convey there as the water like drops through it. And throughout all of that, you know, to your point, it's a beautiful page. You have the bottom right, just the, the safe sitting there alone in the water, but you don't need to see the moments of the hands and the tweezers or the lockpick. Like it all, he shows you what you need to to have this perfect flow of motion. I, I just think mm-hmm. that he really, as an artist, I think more than most has a, a really effective view of the time that goes through you know, a two minute period, which is why he's so good at action sequences or even just this, like depicting the scenes that show a, a several minute scene. Yeah, when I was reading this last night, I was kind of trying to think of like, you know, the central thing that really struck me about these issues. And you you just said like, kind of if I were to bring something up in the podcast, like what's the one thing I would say? And it was like, just have to echo you now and just like reaffirm. I think we've all said it before that Burnham is such a master of motion and timing. That's mm-hmm. why his action sequences are so good. Like the guy, as someone who used to try to draw, like perspective was really hard for me and understanding timing. Like to imagine that guy's like mental eye of like seeing things in his imagination play out like that and knowing how to capture it just perpetually like mind fucks the shit out of me. Like that guy has got such a strong inner vision because he's able to convey things that I would never think about. It's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah, you just even saying that make just makes me think about Nameless and I need to reread Nameless, the Morrison Burnham book from image that is deeply fucked up i haven't really read it since it came out but um i have to imagine that it has an even like an increased sense of strength between morrison and burnham in in terms of like morrison's ability to rely on burnham's flow of storytelling and um if you haven't read nameless folks uh it's awesome roman had it as a pick of the month at our comic shop and we sold so much of it it is yeah, I, just, I need to reread it as an adult now. Oh, it's just, it is so good. It is so, so terrifying. Good. Yeah, I'm not a guy who likes horror, and I am very squeamish. So that was like a not that is a testament to that book. Like it's a book I would avoid if it wasn't that team, like the Dickens. And something about that book is just so brilliant that even I like it. And I get really like grossed out by gut blood and guts yeah. and gore and stuff. Um, yeah, I just realized masters. we need to we need to do that for our book club, Roman. We've been looking for a good horror book, oh. and oh, that yeah. that one would be perfect for it. And if anyone listening oh. this wants to get in on the Comic Space Book Club, we can get you there. Um, this so f- after the safe scene, the scene that takes place in the Wayne Tower, I remember those as being the pages that had a fill-in artist. I remember like specifically the airplane or like the coin rolling. 
I'm really glad to have Burnham back on this. But it is weird. There's so much like white wall space and white stuff in it that it almost still feels like, you know, he's trying to include the other guy's art as relevant images or something because it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit like bare for Burnham. I don't know if I'm the only one that feels that way. No, I I agree. It feels so under-conceptualized for both burnham and grant yeah it's like is that intentional to like add like a dramatic effect for the later fight or is it just something that fell through the cracks because it is so sterile for them yeah it's sterile is the perfect word and i wonder if it's just like the the script was vague at this point because they knew burnham wasn't drawing these pages yeah maybe it was like here's just the beats like this is just what you need to convey yeah it was like there's a big open lobby and you're gonna fight some people and then a coin is gonna roll i did but yeah it's it's a stilted it's a stilted couple pages in in an issue that is absolutely remarkable i do love the way tim is able to like figure out that there's something wrong because it's ellie's badge and i loved the full circle like where the end of Damien is this issue and then we're also harkening back to that same time when like he meets ellie and gets her a job but Tim's whole just like, well, I'm here for your safety. I think I'll just take a look around if that's okay. Where's Ellie today? I see you have her name tag. It's all very like, um, it's a it's a kind of weird stilted scene. Yeah, but I think he's kind of playing dumb. Like he know he knew before he came in that they're Leviathan agents, but he's trying to like oh. prevent an escalation of stuff. Like he's trying to like, you know, say what he thinks he needs to say before, because I think he's actually looking for Ellie. And then, because look how ready he is when the action breaks out. Like he grabs the mop before the guy strikes. You're totally right. He even says, I got it as if like, yeah. I knew this all along. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, Doc Walk mentioned that he didn't use the word sterile or anything, but he mentioned how the whiteness and everything and how clean it is, is um, reflective of it being like the, like the, uh, upstairs no not, not the upstairs the above ground version of the bat cave and but i think he's kind of which i guess yeah you could interpret that way i think he's interpreting a little too too much there though i, I agree with it no it's just kind of um yeah it's brighter but it yeah. is kind of sterile i do I'm, love oh sorry go ahead. oh no go ahead sorry i love when uh tim walks in and his I think it was still pretty new, the Red Robin costume, Mm -hmm. wasn't it? But Mm -hmm. I love when he walks in and this fake Leviathan receptionist, um, did the clubs just let out? I just love that little dig at his costume. (laughs) Yeah, the soccer clubs. Yeah, she's like, like Leviathan people are just like, on top of being like psychotic terrorist killers, they're just like snarky and just shitty. (laughs) Like they can never, like even when they're pretending to be a nice person, they're still a little sarcastic. Yeah. yeah, I do like I do like uh, Tim's move there though when he takes out those the first two guys and then the reception. So smart! It's so cool. And on the following page with like just the great panel of him Kirbying out and he's got the gun breaking the panel gutter like shooting towards the airplane. For sure, I love I love that and I love that he then uses that to swing around and knock over this coin. And in my head, I just sort of was picturing like, yes, us Batman and Robin are pretty good at manipulating giant coins. <laughs> yeah, we sure. somehow got that it, thing in the cave. That's why they needed it there. Yeah, <laughs> like just a, in case shit goes bad, we'll have a coin to kick. I have a question though. Did is is your art different than mine? Because mine, the gun isn't breaking the panel border. Oh yeah, sorry. You probably don't have the Burnham stuff. 
Oh no, um, I'm, I'm, yeah, I've got the soft cover. It's not. It doesn't oh look yeah. Hard. Okay. Cool. So yeah, that's on the, the difference shit. here, yeah. So I can like that's kind of the point. Just now we're speaking to is it is kind of like sterile and white for that fill-in artist, but then there's some Burnham four pages of redone art, and it's not quite as Burnhamy. Like the the backgrounds aren't quite as lived in as I think most often his backgrounds are, and it's just for those like four pages. Just it seems like. Oh. But uh, but yeah, like I'll show it to Roman here, but like. Oh, cool. Shot a, you know, Damien or Robin shooting that out there. So oh, stinky. Yeah, that's a cool star grapple shaped thing. Yeah, mine is just, it's the other guy. And the barrel of his gun, his grapple gun is just like blocked by the gutter. Yeah. Man, that, I wonder how the action scene looked. Because I think it's such an intelligent way to do, like he grabs the mop, swings it over his head to knock the gun out of the guy's hand while he's throwing his little Robin discs at the lady who knocks the Uzi out of the way. And then he uses his mop to like position himself to kick the guy in the next scene. Like he uses the mop that he stole from the janitor to swing himself yeah. around and, and that's such a cool Roman, kinetic showing that image right here if you want to take a look at it but yeah he like burnham does that thing that he does in those, oh, okay like, kind See, of the I've, raid panels where he's yeah. throwing things out of the gutters and stuff it's interesting i've got that same sequence um but just slightly different angles so like i remember this morning when i was reading this i had to suss out what uh how exactly dick was doing this because i noticed wait both his legs are off the ground what's he oh okay there's the mop handle but the way it's drawn is except for the top of the handle where um, Tim is holding it, you, the rest of the mop is blocked by the body of the guy he's knocking it, out. So you don't even realize at first that it's the mop. It's a, it's a definite like bummer. I remember reading this originally and seeing that art and just being like, this is a slightly more confusing scene. And I feel like way more of a visitor in this mm -hmm. atmosphere than I have at other times in the comic. So it, it's just a, it's a weird moment. I'm really glad that they had Burnham recolor and re redraw those pages, even if it didn't it just, make it out. It's flatter. It lacks dimensionality. Like yeah. it, it just feels like two two dimensional things pasted against other two dimensional things. Where this feels a little more three dimensional. You get a sense of space and time. Yeah, uh, and he's just so fucking good at it. It just drives me insane. We get after this. Oh, sorry, Roman. Oh, I was just going to mention you, you had talked about when the, when Tim swings around and kicks the, kicks the coin, why people are shooting at him and everything. I just love, cause I assume Burnham did the layouts for this at least. Um, or maybe Grant had that in the script, how this sequence happens, but I just appreciate the fact that they've never shown exactly when they show this coin, they've never shown the base of it and what it's sitting on, mm -hmm. how it's secured. Cause I, because looking at this, I was thinking, thinking, oh come on, Tim couldn't See. kick that thing's got to be heavy enough. He Tim couldn't like even with momentum kick it hard enough to make it roll. Because you know, like working at the museum, if you have something huge like that, you've got to secure it so it can't be moved because of liability. Not but if the wings the are Leotard? keeping it around. Yeah, but, well, that's he's got that's ripped what I, legs. That guy. Is... Yeah, but it, it doesn't. He would just hurt his leg. But I love the fact that Burnham never shows the base, so you don't have to wonder about that. He just never shows it. <laughs> so oh, well, you, this, you, you so see it a little bit in this page, but yeah, we got a tiny little like 
image oh. of the base. Oh, again, in mine, you never see the base. Yeah, you just, you just see from whoever's president is on there. You just see from his chin up. The next huh. scene is like really it's one of the all-time great moments of this entire run. Like we do have Damien bust in through the window. The images are great. He shocks a bunch of the kids off of him. And then Nightwing shows up busting his, you know, motorcycle through the window. He says, what would you do without me? I don't feel like, I feel like Damien could have dodged those bullets or something. Dick, you're, you're yeah. riding your influence a little hard. But this <laughs> very text-dense page of Nightwing and Robin hiding behind the Wayne barrier is an all-time great moment. It just choked me the fuck up reading it last night. Like, I, I had tears in my eyes. I was... My heart was so warmed by this. It's my two favorite Batman characters, like, and they still, like, Damien finally opens up, and it's just such a culmination of some of the inner, the, the interpersonal stuff that's been going through this whole run. Yeah, and and, and what's his name? Dickie even says that, or they both say it. How we're the best, and we can't help being great. It's a, and this whole sequence, it's it goes back to their time as Batman and Robin. Yeah, that next panel with like the boom written there and that's like is yeah. all directly harkening back to the quietly putting that in the first issue of them together. Mm. It's just yeah. such a powerful like encapsulation of the beauty of the Batman and Robin section. Yeah. Of the run and the, the character growth that that like probably to me has the most character growth in all the parts of this mm -hmm. big trilogy. And you just see the kind of payoffs and like Damien's goes from assassin to lovable vegetarian child who wants to correct his life because of Dick's influence. And Dick realizes that he can kind of, maybe he can't be Bruce, but he can be such a good father figure. And, you know, they're both orphans and, you know, one's the first adopted son of Batman. The other one's the first real son of Batman. And they're just such kindred spirits. It's so cool. We were the best Richard no matter what anyone thinks. Like, I just fucking love, and I love what he calls him Richard. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like beginning with Tim kicking the coin and through this sequence up until a heretic steps off the elevator, it's just a fun, goofy, old-fashioned Batman-style fight. Um, there's all sorts of goofy, like when Dick crashes through the window on his motorcycle, and it's something else I like the fact that Burnham didn't show it because one of my thoughts was like that motorcycle is now going to just crash and fall on those all those unconscious children. Oh, I'm but, sorry, you know, are you talking about comic books? <laughs> yeah, but but I love the fact that he does. Well, an artist as detailed as Burnham doesn't bother showing that because I can't help but think, yeah, that probably occurred to them. But they're like, yeah, it's not important to the story, so we're not even going to deal with it. You know, what I fucking love is after they jump over in that one scene. You know, it's both of them synchronized jumping over. The The double fist punch was such a motif uh, in the run yeah. up until this point. Yeah. Uh, it, you've got the booms and the sisses and everything is harkens back to that Batman and Robin. But then right below it is the smoke and it's pow, biff, oof, bam, sock, block. Like it, yeah. that is very Adam West. You know, it, it's that's it, it's just on these two pages. I just think they're, yeah, to toss out a cliche sentiment, they're masterful. Like it is such a showcase of writing to like, you know, know what's crescendoing here and climaxing and then to be able to convey all of that, like emotion in two pages, but then also have the art harken back to these different moments. There's this, you know, interesting scene here. Um, well, actually I'll, I'll, I'll tie it up uh, later on, but um, 
the sort of damaged architecture of this Wayne building there is, you know, a metaphor that Morrison was putting into the scene. But yeah, then like Roman said, the heretic gets off the elevator. He's holding the black box that, you know, it doesn't really ever matter. Uh, and they but both it's scary. It's scary. It's got a good, yeah, like uh, archaic symbol on it. But they just do the sock punch, the uh, synchronized to Burt Ward. Like, yeah, uh, love all, it. And it's always worked before. And this time, uh, Heritage doesn't even react. Yeah, <laughs> they got themselves out of so many bad situations. And Batman and Robin with that that special move, and it just mm-hmm. like goes to show, like, oh shit, and. And I like how Dick's like, that worked out sarcastically. And then he's like, Robin, get out of here now. Cause he knows like, this is, this guy is here for you. And you know, he's, he is a whole nother class. Like we've never really fought anything like this before. Yeah. It's so scary. Him. Yeah. Yeah. That's a scary scene. And then we get, I think a pretty good, you know, battle sequence between the two of them for one that is only really allowed to take like four pages, particularly climaxing in that, the page of just like 16 panels or whatever, maybe even more 20 panels. I love that. I love he hides the little sort of Bane breaking Batman's back homage in it. But like what I didn't realize, I think originally is how fucked up Damien is getting in this fight. Like he is getting shot. He's got arrows in him. He should have had his back broken in that one. Although he's got a cybernetic spine. So maybe that's a statement about the fact that his back can't break. Oh, you know, it's funny that that one little tiny panel I th- I thought, because now it's back to Burnham for me. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I thought, wow, Burnham is so clever here. Because I was trying to look at Damien's body. I was thinking, Heretic kind of fucked up a little bit. I I forgot about his spine, so maybe that's it instead. But I thought Heretic, oh, fucked up because he doesn't have Damien positioned correctly. He's because his knee isn't at Damien's back. His it's knee his is right under Damien's hips and ass. Yeah. So I was like, oh, so that wouldn't bake his back, especially if you're in a nimble flexible little kid <laughs> i i similarly yesterday with while reading this kind of did some gymnastics to just be like all right he could keep fighting if he hits him here but i only came up with a broken spine thing just now which i think is a fun like a little bit more fun yeah it is more fun but yeah he i mean god damien's got arrows in him he's been shot oh, shot of him remember he's he's his like, hood is bulletproof because they oh they mentioned that when it he's shot by the goat guy yeah they mentioned yeah. that, like, let's put it over his head because it's supposed to be a bulletproof hood. Okay. Nice. That's, uh, yeah, totally why he's wearing it because there that's are shots a, of things ricocheting off of it here. Yeah, that's yeah. a good... And that's it why look, it throws it up yeah. before the fight. Though it does look like some of the shots are going into his side and his leg. He definitely sure. has arrows, like, piercing yeah. his body. And then the particularly the damaging shot of, like, him being thrown into the W, like the Wayne W in the bottom left of that 20-panel page. Yeah. And mm-hmm. his body is just, like... His legs are crumpled. His head is crumpled. His arms are crumpled. It's just so... And the whole time, he continues to talk to his mom. Right. You know, like, call him off. Exactly. I just... This whole fight shows how competent of a fighter Damien is from when he shoots the arrow into his heart. Then the first move is he kicks the arrow further through. Yeah. goes. He has his finger in the guy's eye while he's punching him in the head. And that's, like, holding him on there. Then he gets his back broken or like his spine bent and then he pulls the arrow out and stabs him in the throat. And then you see like he grabs him by the hands and kicks the arrow further up into his skull. <laughs> like he's just yeah. so fucking brutal and he's just going for it. You know, he's fighting irrationally. He's fighting with his heart and cause he, he knows what's up. Um, and it, that whole, 
the way that scene conveys the how desperate Damien is and how pissed off he is, like really like struck a chord with me yesterday. It's like, oh, he's fighting for his life and he knows it. You know, he's being so brutal. Um, and kind of like a scared animal, you know. Yeah, and I love the fact one of the details that Burnham adds in here is the fact that uh one of Heretic's arms is on fire because earlier when he swung when Damien mm. Uh, blocked his sword swing he catches his his sleeve catches on fire from the flames from nightwing's motorcycle yeah and then then, then later when he raises he chokes starts choking damien he's written he's lifting him up with the, his arm that's on fire so damien's not getting all that damage plus like flames looking at his, his hands and feet yeah i kind of didn't even really mentally track that whole flame thing but you're right the progression of flames on his arm through this whole fight to being like when he does kill damien being almost like half engulfed in flame is yeah the flames are spreading and i love and i just love the whole that you know the fire symbolism there of, mm-hmm. of destruction oh yeah because when he when he does actually get to the moment the flames are actually on both sides of heretic yeah speaking of symbolism i was thinking like they always put an emphasis on his eye being missing yeah. And I thought like the eye of Horus and Horus is the son of Osiris and Osiris is the God that dies and gets reborn. Like his, he gets killed, decapitated, thrown around the world. And then he's born again as the King of the underworld after his wife fetches his body and brings him back together. And then, so we're dealing with sons and fathers and Bruce kind of died and came back like Osiris, you know, he was in Batman and Robin, he died and came back. And so I wonder, and then he spits in his eye. I wonder if there's some kind of Horus Osiris connection there and who's the real son. I bet that is totally in there. And you'd saying that maybe just think and look back like in issue two of this half, the eye of Gorgon episode when it's all Talia's story. Like we always zoom in on her left eye on the cover for the eye of Gorgon. It's his left eye that's always squinted and closed. Oh yeah. There's this weird amount of like, one-eyed or the left eye being closed uh, th- like that eye seems to be sort of symbolic to uh, Talia's worldview earlier on like in her origin and these for are, sure and that's a because it, it seems to go back to the constellation like that's a really interesting combination of metaphors you can put into like this fucked up eye and I I love the continuity of it because you know the eye is broken like at least a full issue ago maybe at the end of two yeah it's yeah it's two issues ago that i get shot at it's like squire shoots him with it and uh the continuity of that even when we see him with his mask off and that eye is fucked up is i I love all of that metaphor throughout it right and then there's something about like horus pulls out his own eye and it's like an atonement for the sins and that's what the sun becomes like it literally becomes the sun in the sky and we're dealing with like sons son mm-hmm. and who's the real heir to the to batman osiris so i was like i wonder and you know grant morrison is just so versed in mythology right. i was like i wonder if there's some egypt egyptian mythology going on here with like you know heirs to kingdoms and who who right. rules the world i mean that's also what's going on or even just sort of yeah. usurping or ruling and killing the sun sorry roman for sure i, I bet so justin because there's also with osiris the last part of his but after after he was he was cut up and dispersed the last part of his body um that oh, what's her name found and and put back to him was his genitals 
Right. So there's, so there's this whole creation and, and, and siring progeny thing to the, that Osiris myth. Right. The, that devastating like shot, like a, Damien getting stabbed i love like batman climbing out of the pool running talia just sort of disparaging him the whole time i love that he comes up with this he's still being batman and saying i need to get to this spot and he like sees these man bats and he like jumps and grabs him and like fall like puts him in a chokehold as he's falling yeah justin you really highlighted last week to me how like the how many how sadistic talia's plan is to like have all of his movements plotted out and make it so they're just a couple seconds behind and and that you know as i slowed down and read this one really hit home as he's like the futility of him hit a grabbing a man bat and falling like even that like talia's like yeah i know like you're gonna probably watch demon get stabbed you know like all of it wants to happen yeah all of that and then to have it finalized with her like crying and describe it as a moment of weakness is is pretty brutal yeah but that's yeah it is brutal i mean she's lying to herself too saying that but right god and yeah i don't think batman i have to imagine he didn't see the actual death he got there just you know a minute too late yeah not to criticize something that's essentially perfect but i could use another page of batman getting there like we see we see how he pursues the situation like i'm gonna kind of strangle this man bat until he falls and I'll use that to like <laughs> get me down a bunch of flights of a building really quickly. But then like we just see the broken glass and him holding Damien dead. I wish there was another page of transition there to show us him get Yeah. There. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I do too. Boy, the final little inset boxes of Batman's face yeah, like going fading, black. Yeah, fading to black. Oh geez, that's awful. Yeah. Um did this fuck you guys up? because it like well not as not as much this time but yeah the first time oh man even having all those feelings for me yesterday yeah even having it spoiled i mean and doc walk says that the scene is diluted so much by all that spoiling in the media and everything but i don't think it really is because of the way burnham the coloring and the way he draws it and the way damien's mostly in shadow and you only really see like the shapes of his eyes and the shock but you don't really see his any details of his face. You don't see blood. I think and that, that all, and, and that all makes it even more kind of timeless. since this frozen moment of horror. My, I really enjoyed this second volume. My first time reading it, but I really didn't have the conception for how like little time is taking place over these seven issues. Like I, I was able to keep up with the beats of the story. But I think that like my first time reading it, I was like, oh, what a bummer. And this like the climax to it is such a bummer. But I think I also was looking for like it to, I don't know, like a little bit more drama around the feeling of the loss of Damien my original time through it. I remember being bummed, but I also remember kind of like maybe making myself feel more bummed. I I think I was a little disappointed. There was Phil and Art at the time. Um, And then my ability to sort of, really track the causality of everything up until this moment wasn't where so i i think i appreciated the gravity of the moment more this time just because of our discussions going through it and kind of really having more of a sense of why and what was going on there was almost a sort of i think beforehand a feeling of like a train barreling towards it like well i know damien's gonna die now i guess so um yeah i don't know this this time had a slightly 
I would say it resonated more with me this time just because of the work I think that we've all done here on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I was straight up crying last night. I, I think maybe like as a, like a, a little brother and also I'm a little bit of a stinker and I have like You're a, a stinker. Little, uh, yeah, for sure. I, uh, and Damien's a stinker. I think like I do a little projection onto Damien sometimes. Um, and I resonate with that character sometimes. So I think like that might've been a more emotional tie is like, Oh, I, I get how he feels in some situations and stuff, but um, you know, and I'm a very competent assassin in my, my other life. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it like Aaron came in and I was like tearing up and she's like, what's going on? I was like, they killed Damien. <laughs> uh, um, you know, so to get into some of these interviews that I've seen, I, I hadn't gotten this out of, uh, in my initial sort of runs of it, but I loved it. Um, this statement at its core, Morrison's story over these past years has been about what happens with kids in divorce. And much of it when uh, or much of it was what the writer draws on from his own life after his parents ended their relationship, quote, except for Batman, it happens on a world stage and people die. It's about the way his quote, it's about the way the kids get overlooked. And no matter what he says, the adults aren't listening. Really, the adults are playing out this big drama and the tragedy of the drama is that Batman wants little of this woman and she wants a little of him. And just like my mom and dad and everybody else's mom and dad who ever split up, people can really grow to hate one another. And I wanted this drama to show that I put my, a lot of myself into him, even though I wasn't you know, a spoiled, out, outstanding kid like that. But there was a lot of feelings about your parents and trying to deal with them that I put into that character. I was kind of heartbroken when he died. I'll never write that character again. And it was quite weird to do that. But just that role of like the going back on his parents' divorce and projecting that into the, you know, Wayne Leviathan thing is is an interesting sort of emotional core to really be putting in there. Yeah, I never knew that. And now that puts some of the dialogue in the last issue into more context. Like there's stuff about world stages coming up and I that always missed for me, but that makes that makes a kind of sense. Um, but this is essentially a really dramatic divorce. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. And it kind of goes back to the, you know, Oh, I've been listening to a lot of Nirvana lately with Roman, but just sort of like Kurt Cobain got real famous off of doing things about divorces. And then their final album, it starts off with a line of just like teenage angst has paid off well, but now I'm bored and old. I, I was surprised to see the incorporation of, you know, the previous generations feeling about divorce which i think is different than our generation's feeling of divorce because like justin you and i parents got divorced but like it was the generation where everyone's parents kind of got divorced it's interesting to see that or, or maybe i don't know not to project your feelings yeah, about parents my, divorce on it but my parents didn't get divorced but oh they didn't jesus no i, I don't know why i thought that uh, i just no. assumed that everyone around me's my, parents <laughs> got divorced my parents no, got yeah. divorced that uh, okay. like that boom though of our childhood for yeah sure, like my it was i was like it was legitimate and my parents were very unhappily married, but um, at times like it was, I was a weird one after a certain amount of time where like all my friends were on there, like your parents are still together. Cause there was that, that like wave of divorces where everyone I knew, it was just almost like a fad, like, Oh yeah, our parents, you know, like, yeah. a 2000 hit and everyone's like, well, we could get the shackles off. Let's not be married anymore. It right. Was weird. It it is it is bizarre and, and to me i was you know devastated when it happened but only for a small period of time because it was just like this is you know i don't know i think there was a generation where it was a novel thing that was happening and that right. wasn't my generation. i think i just associated all of your moving to be having been related to a divorce that like 
because you've yeah. been all over the state. <laughs> but yeah, sure. I, I was, you know, that, that I've always thought the, I think there's a generational difference in the observation of divorce in terms of how hard it has struck different people. Right. I, I wonder what it's like now because we see like older institutions good and for good or for bad of like family structures slowly breaking down mm-hmm. as time goes on. I wonder if it's less and less of a thing, even more so now for kids whose parents get divorced, you know? I have to think so, but I think I'm a little cynical. Yeah. Yeah, Morse says, certainly I was aware of the fact that my mom and dad were always people I looked up to. When you're a kid, your parents are basically the king and queen, the god and goddess. And to see them falling apart through a divorce was quite horrible and you couldn't stop it. And also you're always blaming yourself as a kid for everything that happens like that. Which is another interesting, just in like my observation of divorce, I was so aware of the fact that kids blame themselves that I didn't really do that. It was like, it was like, I don't actually think this is my, you know, it's weird because I'd heard that quote so many times. Yeah. I mean, you had parents that are psychologists, so you probably had a little more meta awareness back then of what was going on. Yeah. And that if, you know, I do know a couple friends in high school who like, I could root some of their destructive behavior kind of back to their divorce. And in times where they were vulnerable, they would talk about their parents' divorce at like 17 and 18. And it was like always weird to be like, that is why, you know, you're still carrying that. But I think there was a a very young child who blamed themselves. Yeah. And you know what? It's my parents didn't get divorced till I was probably like 14. Um, So I I also think earlier, it might be more destructive the earlier that it hits you. Yeah. The further you go back, the more like mom and dad are kind of the central thing that a kid's mind filters reality through. So I imagine at like four, it's probably fucking terrifying. The world is splitting, literally splitting in two, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My folks didn't get divorced until much much later in my life but they got they split up they separated a couple times when i was a kid and even that was yeah you go through all that all that well what did i do wrong and and all that yeah that's such a just a sad facet of of the human psyche just like to you know an, an unaware mind will blame themselves for problems that they can't quite see the causes of they'll internalize it and that's a that's a sad thing um a slew of just uh morrison thoughts is a quote from him well people didn't like damien and obviously he was created to be unlikable although i was always very fond of the character i like little bratty kids fighting against authority damien was created to be difficult he had a bad attitude but the reason was always to turn him into the son of batman i love the idea that he was the son of batman and the daughter of the world's greatest criminal so part of him is a bad little dude and the other part of him is the son of batman it's an obvious story to tell of this little bad aristocratic stuck up arrogant snot of a kid. But uh, when he suddenly realizes like, wait a minute, part of my genetic heritage is Batman and learning that and living up to it. I love that. And just all of those issues, he says, uh, where he jumped around kicking professor pig and just jumped into every battle. Even if he got his neck broken, he didn't care. Most of the Robins have been good boys. Dick Grayson was a circus kid. And I really liked that. He was kind of a working class kid. Tim Drake was more of a middle-class kid, this little computer expert who could pretty much do anything. Hopefully what people remember is just Damien being the kind of Robin that the 20th, 21st century wanted the little ninja trained kid who could do anything and had a problem with all authority, but desired to do the right thing, which is awesome. And then, uh he goes on to say it seemed natural to the genesis of batman you know a way to go to the roots of the character and to uh as as an engine for how he works batman is all about the death of his parents 
So I kind of thought that Bruce Wayne, for all that he loves his parents, there must be parts of him that hates his father for not being Batman that night and saving everyone. And there must be parts of him that hates his mother for leaving him alone in this bizarre and peculiar life. So what I did was base my entire run on the idea of this bad father, bad mother, and their bad son. The bad father was Dr. Hurt. And in the story, the bad mother is Talia and the bad son is Damien. And he becomes a good son in the end, but it's too late and he dies because really what he represents is this whole twisted loss that's at the heart of the Batman myth. But yeah, it was all based on that original idea of Batman watching his parents die and how that must have affected him and his ability to have relationships and battle villains. It's all there. So we just made a bit of an obvious, uh, made that a bit more obvious by playing on very specifically, is it a bad father? Is it a bad mother? And here's a bad little kid who becomes good, which is Batman's story as well. Love that. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it is. And the, well, I'll, I'll get into that for the next issue. Um, some stuff that uh, the heretic says, because I couldn't resist. I started reading the following issue and I had to Same. stop myself because I was like, oh, yeah. damn it, like I got to wait. <laughs> um, boy, that and Doc Walks talks a little bit about Morrison said it better, of course, than Doc Walk did, but that circular narrative. Um, and I didn't realize this reading the story, but Doc Walk points out from another Morrison interview that um, one of the symbols of that circular narrative is that the sword that Heretic grabs from the night that he shattered the case with, with Dick Grayson, that sword is from a, a Wayne relative. Um, Shadow of the Bat in the 90s. Yeah, in the 90s, the, uh, the first known ancestor of the Waynes at that point, anyway. Um, so just, so just that tied into the whole, and the cases. Batman's always had this case with the, with Jason's Robin costume displaying mm -hmm. his greatest failure, but then Jason came back and now we know, spoilers everybody, everybody must know this by now, but Damien comes back too. Mm -hmm. so, not so, by Morrison's design. Yeah. yeah, not by Morrison. Yeah, he shouldn't, I still think he shouldn't have even though I Tomasi's, totally agree. Yeah, even though the Tomasi story was good, how he came back, well, I'm still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that thing after, because Tomasi did such a yeah. great job of Batman and Robin at the same time that this was going on. Yeah. Um, that sword thing, you know, you mentioned it. It's the first ancestor sword, and you saying that kind of triggered in my mind the the going back to the return of Bruce Wayne saga, where we learned that like Bruce and saving that woman and the deals with the devil kind of cursed Gotham, and like he the the family lineage of Wayne kind of curses itself. Uh, like he's destined to die. So I, I love this idea that the earliest ancestor of the Waynes had this sword that kills Damien. So there's right. kind of this statement about heritage um, destroying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and maybe and being killed by your brother. Yeah, yeah, your clone, right? Yeah, even though he looks like your big brother, it's really your yeah. little brother. <laughs> um, Morrison says... Yeah, because his mother wanted him to be a world conqueror, to be a tyrant, and the kid didn't want to. The kid wanted to be a superhero, and that's the tragedy of him. Uh, even when Damien dies, I don't know if people have noticed, but the sword that kills him belongs to the very first known ancestor of the Waynes. It was used in Batman Shadow of the Bat in the 90s. So what we want, so what we went back to, uh, there's a suit of armor in that case, and it's Bruce Wayne's earliest ancestors as well. That's who kills the boy. And so there's a lot of, you know, you see him smashed against the Wayne W in the foyer of the Wayne Tower. So it's kind of very much about how 
um, these things play out over generations and how repetitive patterns play out of destructive patterns. And it really never ends. We wanted to make Batman driven by his vengeance again and that drive to shoot him into places where he does good for people. He helps people. He's a superhero. And I think that can never be forgotten. Batman turns grief into something positive every time. And that idea, I don't know how much we've talked about that in this podcast so far, but like really that was the thing that I pulled out of the Morrison story at that time in my life, where I think the three of us have all talked about, you know, going through pretty life changing things as this book was coming out. And I, and like he just said in that interview, what he does is kind of make Batman superpower, his ability to turn grief into, you know, resolution and an ability to rise and overcome. And I think that is like, when people are talking about like Batman's dumb, he doesn't have a superpower. It's like, you're just not thinking big enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I think he's got the best kind of most human superpower, you know, is the ability to see the things that happen to you, the negative things, find the strength in them, you know, because they're there. Yeah. We've got a couple emails, my good friends. Should we check them out? Yeah. Yeah. Can I just say one? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That I I noticed actually flipping back through this as we were talking Um, that night, the Wayne ancestor his and maybe this is from the original story in legends of the dark knight but that knight's visor his eye shield visor it's in the shape of a bat for sure <laughs> love it okay cool, emails <laughs> it's a cool suit of armor yeah it is <laughs> we got a really nice email from kevin pringy relating to it's titled issue seven on um, the cover he says oh my gosh the children and their teeth get them to orthodontist <laughs> which is awesome because that cover of just all these like horrific <laughs> dirty children with their candy and their flaming masks um so seriously though i love this podcast and you guys have made me want to go back and read uh i'm older than you guys i remember when chocolate bars were 50 cents but don't hold it against me i wish i worked at a comic book store i've been reading bats since i was a wee lad and you are all very observant very astute very articulate funny and engaging and i am now going to dive into the perfectly acceptable podcast because this one is almost done sad face love it and keep up the great work fellas thank you oh yes seriously oh, wow. kevin yeah thank you that's that's that was awesome touching. Yeah, gosh, I I am surprised that adults will listen to this podcast because we're just these yippy yippy dog children who work at a comic shop. I feel like the the children on cover seven were just like yeah 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 sugar high like little Leviathan children just like (laughs) and Roman who's got the heart of someone younger than us. And then we have an email from the ever wonderful, ever beautiful, always glorious Chris Murphy, who we adore. Chris, um, hello, quarantine. I think Jeff really hit on something when he observed that this arc seems quite different than so much of what has come before. This feels new and independent, separate from the rich, rich continuity in which everything before this was steeped. I reckon that's probably by design. By embracing all of Bat history and his Bat opus, Morrison created a world from which his Batman could not be removed. In other words, Grant inoculated his story against any future attempts to ignore it or write it out. I like that. Mm -hmm. How are you going to credibly excise a story from continuity when that story is the sheer embodiment of all continuity? (laughs) (laughs) Once he established that, then he could move forward and write a story that didn't seem to be quite such a recapitulation of history. But really, apart from Fatherless and Spiral, there's not much happening that isn't based on previous stories. So in part, yes, 
Grant is writing a standalone, independent arc, but also he continues to write a story from an encyclopedic love of bat lore. In a way, he has done such a masterful job of weaving in continuity that we simply don't notice anymore. It is ubiquitous to the point of invisibility, and it's on purpose. Grant is known for layering meaning upon meaning into his work, the meta context of writing and writing. Batman Incorporated Volume 2 might just be the most eloquent example of it yet. Really not looking forward to issue number eight. Um, <laughs> we're with you, Chris. We're with you, yeah. Chris. That's a. I think that you're right on the money with that one, Chris. I think that um, he's so good at it that it's no longer the mission statement of what's going on because he just so effectively does. Like he lives and breathes Batman continuity. And I imagine, you know, he was always very steeped in it, but I bet he was getting very steeped in it for the first chunk of this run. So it was kind of forcing that agenda to put these things out there. But once you just breathe it all in your blood, like at that point you are Batman writing, you know, like you are Batman continuity. So everything you say is kind of an an embodiment of all of that. Yeah. I mentioned in, I think the last episode that we did that, like, I like how this story, like it's very clearly informed by the past stuff, but not Mm -hmm. dependent on the past stuff. Like we're living in a post Batman and Robin universe, you know, or post those first two volumes universe, but it's not constantly charring up old plot lines and bringing up these things it's aware of them and it will mention them when it's con- like when it's necessary but it's not trying to con- it's not necessarily a sequel right and it's not trying to like let's bring these villains back and do them in this way and what was their ultimate you know like hurt comes up but that's just because we're living in a world that's still influenced by hurt's existence but it's no longer really a, a huge part of the story and that's as much as i love those two volumes like it's also refreshing and i wish that Morrison just kept going with more stories. Oh, one day we're going to get him to just write more Dick and Damien stories. Yeah, for sure. So, so amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rowan, do you have any thoughts before we get out of here? Response to the mails, quotes, anything? Those were just oh, such such nice emails. I love the fact sure. that, that people are digging this with us. I mean, it's it's so cool. And yeah, and I'm how many issues do we have left of this? I think four. Four? Four? Man, I, I, I don't want it to end. <laughs> Me neither. But we will be back in different capacities. We'll watch that documentary at some point. We'll yeah. talk about Battle for the Cow. Maybe we'll talk about, <laughs> you know, a different, the legacy of Damien somewhere. But no, I mean, yeah. the fact that we keep getting emails and there's a Facebook group and, you know, I come across people mentioning it on Reddit and stuff like is so amazing and so cool and it means it's just a larger uh, reason to keep doing it so we're incredibly grateful to you folks uh, for listening because we all just miss getting to be in our comic shop because the doors are still closed and uh it's it's great to get to hang out together for yeah. sure yeah i just wanted to thank the people who have emailed and said stuff um this is like in a weird way, a digital version of what I always wanted, where I was just that weird guy who just wanted to come talk about this run to Roman at the comic book shop. Yeah. You know, just like, there's gotta be someone out there to talk to me about this. And now we are able to facilitate that. So it feels, feels really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it really does. It's really, it's, it's really nice. And it's always, it always surprises me because, you know, we're just three, sometimes four goof, goofy people talking about this. And yeah. A, a friend of mine in Chicago, who's, a, a like a university instructor at Northwestern College he Facebook messaged me and wanted to know what's the name of your podcast again <laughs> and, and I told him and, and then I was like started getting anxious it's like oh my god this guy's a older learned professor and he's gonna listen to us oh no geez he's gonna think I'm an idiot <laughs> listen we know we might sound like idiots but we allow ourselves 
to run with the flights of fancy and the thoughts that come. And I think that the world is better <laughs> yeah. when we don't worry about if we're sounding dumb, as long as you're meaning, meaning something good at the heart of it, which I think we all do because I think uh, relationships around this Batman run. And I think what we learned from this Batman run really uh, have facilitated the latter portions of our lives and the relationships that we have and our ability to get through uh, all, all the adversities. So Morrison, yeah. thanks. Justin Roman. Thanks. Well, thank you. Every listener Thanks, out guys. there for every email, huge thanks. Uh, we'll see everybody next week for issue number nine, I believe, episode 74. Kind of just uh, continue continue going towards the end of this thing. And uh, gosh, we'll miss y'all, but we'll be here. We'll see everybody. Um, well, as always, I'm Jeff. And I'm Roman. Justin. We'll see y'all next week, except for Damien. God, I'm going to yeah. miss that guy. Oh.